Well, now that we're all here, the Prime Minister has asked the Home Secretary to come and represent him here today. The Home Secretary. Uh, gentlemen, uh, the tape that you are about to hear was received at 10 Downing Street this morning. My dear Prime Minister, two atomic bombs, numbers 456 and 457, which were aboard NATO Flight 759, are now in the possession of Spectre. Unless within the next seven days, your government pays to us 100 million pounds sterling in a manner to be designated by us, we shall destroy a major city in England or the United States of America. Please signal your acceptance of our terms by arranging for Big Ben to strike seven times at 6 p.m. tomorrow. You may now open the folders in front of you. Code name? Thunderball. Do you expect me to talk? To another edition of Do You Expect Us to Talk, the new James Bond podcast. My name is Becca, and with me, as always, are fellow 007 fans Chris and Dave. Hello! Hi. This time we'll be talking about the fourth Bond movie, Thunderball, starring Sean Connery, Claudine Auger, Adolfo Celli, Luciana Paluzzi, directed by Terence Young, and released in 1965. So guys, what did you think of Thunderball? Firstly, can I say very well pronounced, I would have cocked all those names up myself. <laughs> oh, uh, you know how to pronounce Sean Connery. Like, oh. And I thought, oh, Auger. Sean Connery. Mm. Um, oh, Alright, you can't. Anyway, <laughs> never mind, in a couple of weeks' time we'll have Roger standing. <laughs> standing. <laughs> Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Georges Lazambe. Georges Lazambe. Yes. I apologise to the estates of all those people if I got your name wrong. I'm so sorry. Yes, particularly the estates of all those people who are still alive because you. <laughs> Becca's just buried them talking to the estates. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm just I'm just practicing my Daniel Clack. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. This I've got is, um, right, what? <laughs> yeah. Before we sort of get onto what we think, we, we're again. I think this is the point. I expanded on this in the first episode. This is, I think, where we can honestly say. The formula's complete. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. There we are. Oh, well, that's it. We... <laughs> no, brilliant. That was easy. Oh, we've wrapped that up. Thanks, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for another week. Bye. Yeah, we've got the first uh, gun barrel with the current James Bond actor doing the gun barrel. And it's a very swinging gun barrel. You know, like you kind of like it's like a, it's like almost like it's like dancing as he's like, hey, you're doing a twist. <laughs> he does, he swings around, doesn't he? And yeah. Like, and bizarrely, it's the only Connery one in colour. Mm, There's two yeah, more to go, and, and they use the same shot in black and white, which is really weird. That is weird. Mm. Is that because, also... that because the whole way Thunderball was presented at the time? Because it was the first like panoramic 
I genuinely couldn't tell you. I, I've got no idea why they went back to black and white, particularly when his last entry was in the 70s. Maybe have been budgetary, I don't know. They've had, obviously had more money this time around, so they could afford mm-hmm. to have do it in colour. Well, yeah, you mentioned money. Um, um, yeah, but it's the same shot. Yeah, oh well. Um, yeah, talking of budget, without getting into it too heavily, this is the highest grossing adjusted for inflation uh, Bond film until we get to Skyfall. Um, but extraordinarily... Um, because we're talking about relatively small sums of money by modern standards, it doesn't sound as impressive, but the budget's trebled. We are yes. now up to nine million from three million a week a, a year ago, and in last week's podcast. And without sounding mean, I don't not sure where that money went. And I, I, I imagine like filming underwater is probably expensive, and I imagine that's probably where it went. But mm. filming in the Bahamas that's quite expensive. Well, come on. Well, Doctor No was filmed in Jamaica. Sean Connery's salary. Uh... I've heard mixed things about Sean Connery's salary because no. I always believed that a lot of the reason he left was the producers kept renegotiating their deals for more money and they weren't passing that on to Sean. But I was sort of digging around the other day and, and his salary did, did rise a lot across these first few films. Just um, not as much as Sean would have liked. Possibly. Maybe. But, um, yeah, I mean, we are talking about a mega budget for this time. Definitely. Uh, it's a sign of how expensive movies are now that if you adjusted for inflation, nine million wouldn't be that much by modern mm. standards. But in that era, trebling a budget just a year later uh, is is a phenomenal thing. And I, I I can only guess it must be underwater photography. I, I imagine so, but uh, I think the budget would have come from just sheer confidence of the whole franchise itself because mm. I mean this must have been one of the first few franchises and for it to be each one to be like more successful than the other it must have been very much like yeah we're on a fucking roll yeah we've got a big massive fuck off budget let's just go for it yeah Thunderball producers weren't they morning children explicit language (laughs) (laughs) I tell you the the thing I was thinking about the other day is uh, we were talking about these films and I I don't know if it was during the Doctor No podcast or during the intro one but we were saying about From Russia With Love still having a relatively tight budget despite them having a massive hit in the can and then it occurred to me with it coming out less than 12 months after Doctor No they they didn't have a huge hit in the can by the time they allocated the budget And, and I don't know at what point during this process the budget was allocated I mean I'm imagining it must have been you must have had at least From Russia With Love out whether you had, would have had Goldfinger out, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's like one of the, the foresee it, like uh, they, ha- they usually do, like today sometimes, like they greenlight a sequel before the the first film's even out. You know, they just like yeah, they and then you the... just and then you just cut your cloth if the thing you're doing a sequel to doesn't do as well as you hope. Yeah, they just go, ah, yeah, we're not doing one. Yeah, we'll just film this in the bath. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as, as you were saying, by this time, you know, Thunderball rolled around, you'd obviously got three films under the belt and the budget got bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Um and that you know, you had a certifiable blockbuster on their hands. So I think they just kinda of thought, Well, we're just gonna, you know, invest the money and just go for it. We are seeing seeing the start of this sort of cycle of bloat and purge that I think I talked about in one of the earlier episodes that it's you you, t- you try to top the previous entry and you keep trying to do that until you get to what you or the public either way consider a bit ridiculous and then you strip it back and thunderball they are just lobbing money at it um 
and I don't think it has a particularly detrimental effect on the film, but we can certainly see it ramping up compared to only a couple of years before. There seems to be a lot more focus on gadgets this time around. I mean, the first cue point is in this pre-title scene where more, more, sorry, Connery, Jesus <gasps> Christ, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, he uses his jetpack. <laughs> yeah, but basically, that's amazing. That's amazing. That is a, a truly, yeah, it's a real iconic gadget. I mean, it's really known for being, but it's know, far out, far out, and but it's, it's pretty. A, yeah, it's in all the posters. But it's pretty daft, though, if you think about it. It is quite silly. <laughs> it, it is. is. It's like, I mean, it, a, it it looks ridiculous. I mean, you think usually if you <laughs> if 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 a super spy was to have a jetpack, it would be safely like concealed in his jacket as a little gadget thing. No, or... you'd leave it on the balcony, Chris. Yeah, it's not real. Thing. It's not real. Yeah, I mean, like you think, how how the fuck did he must have must got on there? But then that's how he must have got on it in the first place. Got in the place, jetpacked himself on top of the roof, left it there. I never thought of that because he was at the funeral as like a yeah. I just assumed he went to whatever wake or whatever this mm. was afterwards. But it seems to whip it out. Excuse my language. It seems to you know whip it out, doesn't he? And just out of nowhere, and you think, oh, okay. I rewound it about four times because I just thought, like, where did that come from then? But where did he keep it stored? It's what just basically on on the like balcony, stroke veranda, stroke whatever you want to call it. But you think about how would he how would he have got in? He must have broken in at so like so in some way. But so it makes sense like for it to be there for him to actually just jet back himself onto the roof mm. and then just sort of like got in through the top end where it wouldn't where presumably it wouldn't have been locked because who'd have thought someone would enter in the on the from the roof end of that, okay that so thing. it obviously has a massive plot hole <laughs> i don't know that it does actually i think chris has just actually cleared that up it doesn't yeah, I think it, you have. Well, it doesn't actually make it any less ridiculous no 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 i mean he, jet, he jetpacked up onto that place and yeah on, on, onto that section of the roof and then, then when she comes home he's sat in the chair waiting for her she stroke he him yeah, mm. yeah JB, same initial. Hmm. Spectre's <laughs> number six. Yeah. Actually, you say that. That's the first kind of fake out, and that, that does come back a few times in pre-title sequences. I mean, the, the the gun barrel sort of opens, and you get Connery nearly falling over doing his shot, <laughs> and then it opens up to like JB on a coffin, mm. and you, just for a split not second. As it seems. Oh, is he dead? Obviously not. But before your brain's fully kicked into gear, but you think next week you've got. Bond possibly killed in the opening sequence. Ah, spoiler alert. Uh, and then you've got um, future films where he's very close to dead and saved at the last minute. Yeah. Like this... Die another day. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, I wish they had killed him in the opening sequence. Oh. <laughs> two hours it's two, two hours at a bad CG funeral, it would have been. Oh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is... Um, yeah, it's... A, it's uh, a f- there's a few firsts here, isn't there? It's the first sort of fake out in a in a pre-title sequence, and I'd love to know what you both think of that pre-title sequence in a minute. I I mean uh, I actually like it as a pre-title sequence. Uh, the only thing that stands out is the jetpack. I makes you feel okay. Come on, that's just a little bit daft. That just be just looks ridiculous looking at it. It's like even to, <laughs> even today, even if you think oh it was the sixties, you know you coming coming off uh, golfing in which okay fair enough starts having the gadgets but it was very slick and you know base you know slick smooth shiny this just looks like a big heavy clumpy bit of so it, it feels like something off a, off a comedy film and it's just and he like, just crosses the road on it as well 
Yeah, I mean, it just feels like, you know, and it's like, oh, it's yeah, I mean, oh, you have to, have to put a, a crash helmet, it makes it look even more ridiculous, but I, but I know the fact, I know the sheer fact of that was uh, they wanted it without the uh, the crash helmet, but... They refused. The, yeah, the, the guy doing the stunt said, I'm not fucking doing it without one, so... No. <laughs> so, he had to. Um, but I I think it pretty holds what up, you know, it's like, uh, it's pretty much Bond has a fight, and it fakes out, he, you know, he... He punches a lady, which is very oh. Austin Powers. It, quick, <laughs> quickly, I, I think um, watching this as well, uh, Thunderball introduces many of the Austin Powers tropes. Like he punches like a lady who turns out to be a man. He punched my mother. Yeah, it was like he well, he was a bit mannish, you know. But th- 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 <laughs> there is that. But also, particularly when it comes to the Spectre stuff, uh, number two eye patch. Yeah. Uh, the yeah the the the, the chair. The room. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the yeah, yeah, the, whole... yeah the meeting room. We'll see where the sharks. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. With the buttons. De- yeah. Sharks. Lasers attached. Yes. To <laughs> it has it has a lot of those sort of elements. I thought. Oh yeah. I thought that, that's 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 the common like Bond tri- um, tropes that's used quite often in spy films and Bond films that Austin Powers Imagine picks up on. And it's just like yeah. Very badly burnt. Yeah. But um yeah but that kind of like ideal and feel it's just like well mm. that's that, it all comes to play in this film it's you know it this is mm. as as uh, Dave said it's the archetypal bomb film um but yes I do like the pre-title sequence yeah it's, it, it's I've just re- I've just realized I've talked for like 5 minutes straight that's awesome <laughs> so uh, all right so the pre-title sequence with the exception of a little bit of speeding up of the film which we will come back to because i think thunderball is the single worst culprit in the whole series for it yeah it's awful for and it. um, we never really get to know who the that general guy is who he's fighting we never re- really know what he looks like i mean he looks kind of like piers morgan in drag that's, that's well, actually, <laughs> it is a woman right up to the point where he hits him <laughs> in the, when you see her through the veil it, it is a woman hmm. Um, but it's Jack Bouvard who it, it later comes out is Spectre's number six. So Bond has just killed one of the Spectre high command, if you like. Mm. And then we go, then he jetpacks across the road, jumps into the DB5, which at this point is becoming iconic. It is the most famous car in the world at this point. And then they fire a load of water onto their pursuers. And shows, off, quite... shows off more of the DB5's gadgetry as well because you've got the bullet reflecting window that comes up at the back and obviously the water cannons. But it, it, it just seems more comedic. It looks like someone from Cannonball Run. It's just like all jetpack and then. <laughs> it's, oh, it is gadget. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the what guys come at me, guns all, oh, let's spray water. Ha ha ha, they'll fuck. God, they're all falling over. Look at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that but is... then we cut straight into the title sequence. And again, this is the first title sequence that really looks like a Bond title sequence. Yeah. Morris Binder's back for the first time since Dr. No, which was very prototypical anyway. And he continued to do the opening sequences all the way through to and including License to Kill to varying qualities. But this is the first one where we've just basically got silhouette, silhouetted ladies. Um, with a, I mean, we had the iconic sort of song last week with Goldfinger, but this looks like a Bond opening sequence. Yeah, with uh, the naked ladies swimming in water, firing harpoons, all, like left, right, centre. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all it is, pretty much. You strip it down to the bare bones. That's all it is. I'm not saying it's not, uh, you know, artist, artistic in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most iconic. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of the most iconic title sequences there is. But it's very much your typical title sequence. What what do we make of the song, uh, Thunderball? Is it is it 
one of the fav- most favourites, or is it kind of like a meh? It's got some really silly lyrics. I mean, you can't like he strikes like thunderball. I mean, that's not something you say in real life, is it? It's a it's a little bit silly. It's never been actually. If I were to rank them, it, it's quite near the bottom. And it's not that it's bad. I just it doesn't somehow it doesn't fit. I mean, I'm not overly fond of the score to this film anyway. I was listening to it the other day, and there's not an awful lot of fresh ideas in this. And um, the thing is, it's surrounded by real quality. I Shirley Bassey next week. We're going to have Nancy Sinatra last next week. We're going to have the week after that one of the best pieces of music I can think of. And then that's followed by Shirley Bassey again and Wings. And I just think it, it is the weak link of the early films for me. I was say, I personally, I quite like it. I mean, Tom Jones obviously is hugely popular in the 60s and 70s. And it, it definitely it fits in with the whole the tone of the film. You know, it's kind of, oh, um, yeah, bombastic. I lost my train of thought. No, I, I, I think so. I, I, I cannot understand both. Uh, of the arguments for and against, because it it does fit well with the film, but uh, you think of like the other bomb themes. There are more memorable bomb themes. I don't hate it. Yeah, there that's just it. It's like it's kind of things like yeah, it's quite good. But you think of ones that generally are good. You go like yeah, but that that's fucking ace. So when I say it's the weak link of that sort of early era, it, it's almost it's damning it with faint praise, really. And as much as definitely, I just think everything around it's really good. That's mm. all. It, it's not bad, but it's dramatic. It does its job. It's it's you know mm. it's, and a pattern is set that set that's going to last for about the next twenty four years, mm. in terms of the types of songs and not only that the title sequences, and I do genuinely think that Maurice Spinder kind of peaks with the Spy Who Loved Me. I think. And, oh yeah, yeah, that's a really and, and good one. Swinging on a luger. Uh, yeah, and it's <laughs> and, and, oh, what's that? Too late. Watch um, out. <laughs> We are definitely, we will definitely, folks, if you have never heard it, when we get to The Spy Who Loved Me, we will cut in that Alan Partridge sequence. It's three or four minutes, but it's absolute comedy gold. It's gold, it's gold. In, in, fact, that, in fact, that's going to be the actual podcast. We're not going to bother doing one. We're just going to... It's just going to be a three-minute <laughs> yeah. podcast. Alan Partridge. Uh, these, yeah. <laughs> these Russian shits in black suits with lemon piping. Um... <laughs> But certainly, Maurice Binder is is kind of fairly innovative in the first few, and then it kind of starts to look a bit cheap and tacky, particularly if you're used to what Daniel Kleinman has done since Goldeneye. Um, But yeah, it it is a typical, it is kind of a typical pre-title sequence going forward, with an okay song on it, just not as good as a lot of the stuff around it at this point. Speaking of the theme song, would you have preferred it to be um, the, the film's alternate theme tune, uh, Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, because a, a lot of the musical cues in the film. Was that Shirley or was that Dionne Warwick? Yeah, I think so, yes. Well, did they both do versions, Becca? I mean, I'm, it... I'm not sure if Shirley did a, a version. I can see her doing one, but. Uh, I can't yeah. remember. I don't know what version I heard. But the version I heard. Uh, Dionne Warwick's got yeah. a significantly lower voice than Cause... Shirley Bassey, but I'm, I'm not I... sure now. I, I do like that song. I, I do like that song, and I'm not the biggest fan of Thunderball as a song. So yeah, Dion Warwick, both they both did a recording. Oh right, I couldn't. I don't know which version I've heard to be honest with you, but I mean, as, as someone who's not a biggest fan, of, a big fan of what Tom Jones did here, 
I think I prefer that song, but none of it's a deal breaker. It's it's all kind of pretty good at this point. I think it nice would have worked. I think it, like Kiss Kiss Bang would have actually worked in the in the title sequence of Thunderball. Uh, it just would have worked in a slightly different way. It would have felt like a lot less dramatic, but a little bit more kind of mellow take mm. on the Bond phase. But you know, but I like it as a Bond song. It sums Bond up pretty well. And then we go to a whole sequence at Shrublands. I think it's called, isn't it? Yep. Bond's been sold, sent to a health farm. Conveniently located <laughs> in the NATO airbase. That actually does work better in Never Say Never Again, just because he's yeah. an old man comparatively. So it's like, no, you've <laughs> I, got to take better care of yourself. Uh, yeah, 20 I, years I, later. I think also one of the things that works better for me is the plot device of it all. Uh, the whole plot of, uh, we're going to have plastic surgery to make you look like the guy, they're going to kill the guy, have you replace the guy, uh, while all at the same time, uh, that the guy we've just killed is in, is basically with the, the guy we're working for, the main bad guy. Where in Never Say Never Again, it's like basically like, yeah, uh, I've kind of got your your sister. Uh, do what you told, or we'll kill her. Yeah, it's not more just makes it, that, ju- just makes a lot more sense plot wise. Cuts out all that little all that crap about all that extra plot that kind of like, I mean, I I, I enjoy it for what it is, but mm. it's complicated, like, it isn't just, it? It's quite complex. It, when, when you simplify it like that, it just makes well, yeah, cool. Why you just why wouldn't they just do that? That's just a lot easier. Yeah. Like start a lot. to get more convoluted, and also this is the first Bond film that goes over the two hour mark. And yeah, it's a long I, one. I would, as much of a fan of this series as I am, a lot of the films going forward could do with a slight trim. Yeah, this one could definitely benefit. From yeah, it definitely, it does feel its length. It's a, it's a hundred and thirty minute film, and it, and it does feel it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realise that. But um, mm-hmm. it, I think part problem is is some of the plotting. Uh, also, the action sequences set and wonder just are just slower, so it does feel very much most of the time that they're a bit more kind of drawn out as well. Of, like the the underwater sequences, as beautiful as they are, mm-hmm. for me personally, mm-hmm. some of them do lag a little bit. And I'm I'm sorry if any purists are like oh, heathen, you know. But it's like, well, that's just my personal opinion. But I mean, they well, actually amazingly shot, but could do with a little bit of a trim. Well. I don't think we're going to be that heathenish for saying for saying. No. It, but, uh, <laughs> I think, I, I I think you know if we just ignore diamonds, this is probably considered the weaker of the of the Conneries. Oh no, I wouldn't uh, agree with that. Sorry, no, I wouldn't agree with that. I, I would say this. Is... If 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 we ignore diamonds, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I think you only live twice is rated as like a bit of a drop down from this. Okay, but in, in popular... Is it the mild racism against the Japanese? <laughs> no, I think it's more the fact that he, he's a bit fat by then. <laughs> uh, he doesn't like care as much. This is like, the first four films, he looks like f- fit, ready, and interested. And this one, not so much. Um, but this is the fourth. I, I, he, he is cool as fuck in this, though. Yeah, he looks, good. He looks good in this yeah. film. Um... But yeah, you tell he's a lot more bulkier now. He's uh, he's still he looking like... fit though. He's still looking pretty. Yeah, you, you can tell he's wearing the wig. But even though yeah, yeah, the wig's a bit dodgy. Where the party meets like his forehead, that's too far forward. Maybe it's just me. I just don't see it. I literally. It's when he's like, I tell you the scene you can see it most in when he's in bed with is it Molly, the woman who is like his uh, well, not nurse, but at the at oh, the, Pat Fearing. At... Yeah, Pat Fearing, that's it. Well, that's, Are you yeah. Molly Warmflash from The World Is Not Enough? It's not Molly... Sorry? It's, oh, no, what's her name? I was thinking of... <laughs> Molly's her real name, I think, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, no, she's Pat, Pat Fearing plays Molly. I can't remember her name. Yeah, Pat but the Fearing. point is, he's yeah, she's of. laying on the bed, and he's wearing like a mink glove, and he's rubbing her back, and it's like kind of side on, and it looks really weird. <laughs> I just love the fact he's using a mink glove. I don't know what that could be. I, 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 I tell you what I like about that character as well. The that she out of all the the Bond girls there are, she's the only one that springs to mind that that kind of gets pissed off with him the whole time. <laughs> it's like it's like she she's annoyed him at, f- at first go. She she, she kind of goes like oh no when he has, has him in the steam room randomly, and then even <laughs> after that she's like oh for fuck's sake stop you know. You go up to trouble again. Oh, you're such a pain in the ass. Oh, she's she's, she's like, the you're I such a pain in the yeah. ass, despite having the fact she's, you know, he's just shagged her. Is she playing hard to get? <laughs> this is it. Uh, no, I think she generally finds him a pain in the ass. Yeah, generally. Uh, I did, a, I did allude thing... in, in one of the earlier episodes to bits of Connery reminding me of Daniel Craig. And the bit where he just sort of nonchalantly elbows the um, uh, fire alarm. That reminds me of Craig, that reminds me of Craig breaking off the door handle at the opera in Quantum of Solace. Definitely. Uh, I just there's there's an awful lot of Daniel Craig's the, later take in this Connery it, performance. It's the casuality of it all. Yeah, it's doing Science it so nonchalantly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I I kind of can see that. Uh, it's it's the sheer confidence of it though. That's the thing. He probably you know we can argue about best but... performances. Confidence is probably the word. You might like other performances better, but like he totally knows what he's doing at this point. Yeah, exactly. So he's at Shrublands and basically cons that woman into some sex. Mm, steamy room, yeah, steamy. steamy. Yeah, but it's 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 just a bit weird that that whole segment. I mean, like, yes, he cons her, but she doesn't really go down. Spite. She's like, no, oh, it's oh no, oh oh no. But even though, despite the like, mo- like pretty much all the. Uh, interactions mm. she has with him, she you know she, he is more of a nuisance to her. She's like, oh, for fuck's sake. I think that that seems <laughs> that seems quite interesting as well because we're, obviously we're introduced to Count Lippy, and you've got kind of like the double meaning of I think there's a line that says, oh yes, you've noticed it too. So also you've got like the how um, how, how beautiful Pat Fearing is, um, how she's perceived by by both Bond and Count Lippy, and also a reference to the is it a tongue sign that he's got on his wrist, a little red. Red hammer sign. Yeah, I actually think this is this is. I don't know how to explain this. It's the most Spectre film we get in this early period. But that's very much some sort of pun. To... No, it's not a pun. It's just simply that there is just a more lot Spectre. of Spectre yeah. about this film. The next Actually. film's a little bit more about Blofeld. The earlier films, we just see some henchmen. And so this is on. the first time we see kind of Spectre staff, really, isn't it? More of them rather than just Blofeld and yeah, absolutely. And, and two, and you know. They're using this. Um, they're using this whole thing. They're using Shrublands to basically unfold their plot, which is to get um, what's his name, Domino uh, Jack. But no, Jack Patachi is. Um, is it Jack Patachi? I think, yeah, that was his original name, and that's his name in Never Say Never Again. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. I just thought I've suddenly got the wrong film. But basically, yeah, Dom- Domino's brother, they're just basically um, getting the decoy ready. Yeah, it's quite complex, yeah, you, isn't 
you, you see like Spectre in action properly rather than just kind of like right we're out to get Bond or you know you, you see him in full force you see you see you know Blofeld like screened up and you think oh what's this mysterious figure and it's a big massive control room with like you know with electrifying chairs and you see him as an operation how like they're all globally kind of like spread out across and they've all got like big sort of many sort of fingers and many pies essentially and uh, you see them fully you know flesh out this plot that they uh, that they go into and um, I really do like uh, the villain in this as well. Uh, what do you guys think? Number two, Largo. He's like a lot of things about this film in that like, I've got absolutely no complaint with him whatsoever, and it kind of works on paper. But if I started listing like great villains of this series, I don't think he's that high up my list. Yeah, I can kind of see that, but I think what I kind of like about him, he's essentially, because he is number two, he is essentially like the extent of Blofeld. He's like the company man of Spectre. He's he has no desire to kind of be he's first number officer, one. He's, he's William Riker. Yeah, he he has no desire to be number one because he's like I can't be after that shit. But I'm kind of enjoy where I am. I'm kind of <laughs> like yeah, I like I like I like to kind of like I like to like kind of be like be like really put really important and kind of like have you know and and not on all this kind of kind of shit. Mm. But you know. Uh, I don't really want to be like in charge because I can't be asked doing that. So I'm kind of like I can kind of enjoy where I am, and he kind of like is essentially like Blofeld, but without the kind of wanting to just take over everything. He's kind of like happy with just like yeah, I'm, yeah, I've got along with it. Yeah, yeah, all right. He's more like the brains of the outfit as well, isn't he? He's kind of you don't see him do so much action, um, but he's more kind of like the the brains of the outfit, I guess. But what I casually like about him is when that guy gets electrocuted. It's just how he's just like. Just like not even bothered, he's literally just glances up, and go all oh, right, and yeah, another guy getting killed. Just probably ca- carries, on, list ca- yeah. carries on, carries on making his notes. Next order, of and it's like, oh, okay, that's me. Okay, right, uh, yes, I've got. <laughs> no, I, I do love. I, it's a terrifying scene, but I do love the lighting of it because you just see like the the reaction or complete non-reaction of Largo, but you've got kind of the reflection of the light. Uh, you know, just it's really kind of like all the expressionism as well. It's a really good reference to that. What confuses? It's terrifying is. I was only thinking about this earlier. That that room where all the agents like meet, and you've got Blofeld at the end of the room. I'm really confused because we're not obviously as a viewer. I understand we're not supposed to be able to see Blofeld's face, but the way it's all angled and shot, it looks like the agents aren't either. So no. you think, well, first off, I think, well, that's confusing because in from Russia with love, they we didn't see his face, but they clearly could. So do they know who Blofeld is, or is he just number one? Mm. And, and B, I feel quite sorry for the cat, because the cat is, like, visible. So if they get caught, the cat is going to be the criminal mastermind. <laughs> and he's going, to go down, he's going to go down for quite a long time. <laughs> I, th- I think it always is the cat. The cat is Blofeld, you see, that's it. That's it. Then people would, like, say, oh, why is the act always changing? No, 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 that's just the guy. Mm. It's the cat. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, see, it's, it's the cat all along. But uh, then we get into the whole thing around Domino's brother and the stealing of the nuclear weapons. Is it nuclear or atomic? Yeah. Yeah, atomic warheads. Yeah. MOS type. I actually do like that sequence. You, we, we get introduced to Fiona Volp. And, and she's one of the best Bond villains, I think. Female Bond villains, at least. She's a very foxy she's... villain. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? 
No, maybe not. <laughs> Wolfie means fox. No. Oh, I did. Oh, that, actually. Um, but we're introduced, to her and she's basically with Domino's brother. The name has just suddenly escaped me. Oh God. Um, but then, obviously, we're introduced to his double. He's killed. The double demands. A huge increase in money from a hundred thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand. Stupidly, stupidly, because like, he saw his death. What, 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 what? Yeah, because watching it, I'm thinking, are you a fucking idiot? Like seriously, like, it's Spectre, like, and they don't give a shit. They will no, kill you. He gets very big for yeah. his boots, doesn't he? He's like, this is half, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's, like, oh, this is merely because he's indispensable because they've spent two years. But making him look, like, look and sound like the guy. Like I, I Angela gets too big for his boots. I can kind of see how he kind of doesn't plan that the uh, seatbelt doesn't open. How he's like, oh shit, that's not open. Yeah, but he does expect so, help. Yeah, but he, even in that circumstance, he, let's just say that, oh, he, he gets away and he gets away. They will just hunt him down anyway. They'll just literally like, turn up in a hotel that's room. That's a good idea. Just... It's just like, are you, are you thick? Are you honestly... You... <sighs> I don't know, mm. but... Maybe because he he's not aware of Spectre, who the army is for, some shady organization, you know. Um, so then, you know, shady organizations stealing nuclear warheads. So basically, <laughs> some nuclear warheads have gone missing, and MI six call in every double O man in Europe, which confuses. One of them's a woman as well. Apparently, I think what yeah, I can't remember which one it is, but there is one in the shot that is supposed to be a woman. It, yeah. What we we then basically 007 turns up, and he's sent to like the conference room or the meeting room or whatever. Can't remember its name now. And he heads there, and he gets upbraided for being late. <laughs> now that we're all walked, here, <laughs> having walked into the most beautiful set in the entire series, I think. Like, yeah, I'd have to be with you there, Dave. I think Don't you think that's a really beautiful set here. Uh, I think M has a uh, quite an increased salary in his office. Well, you think that's just his <laughs> no. office, and they've opened it out. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. No, it, I mean like when he when he walks in, it's like fuck me that. No, imagine just walking into that place and just be like stunned. It's like so you've got various ministers. Can't believe there, the size you've got, of this place. You've got uh, is it nine or ten seats? You've got basically below one to nine, I think. Yeah. Connery obviously sits in the seventh seat. Which confuses me because it's every double O man in Europe, and we are we saying it's a Europe only thing? I don't know. You don't want to overthink that too much, I think. No, <laughs> maybe but that's what they all are. It's introduced. Time. They they get their files, which I love. We see that again in For Your Eyes Only, don't we? We do. Um, yeah, it's something you, you get familiar. handed the file, and it's they've got to sort of break it open with their hand. I like that operation. Operation Thunderball. Good name, Thunderball. Who comes up with these names? Like, <laughs> I, I, I understand Thunderball's a silly title, mm. and it kind of makes sense. All right, well, that's why the film's called Thunderball. But why would you name it what, Thunderball? I don't know. Do they do it like alphabetically or something the same way they would name like well, hurricanes, hurricanes or yeah, hurricanes, tropical storms, things like that? I don't know. Well, so this could this did, could def- did, this film could have been called Uterus. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it is it like like they got like Operation a Volva? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Is it not like a oh. like a little lottery lottery ball thing where you have like all like little balls of different names and the first two come out they put together? Like, <laughs> well, so we could have named it after the machine. This could have been Operation Merlin. Operation Galahad. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know where it comes from, but the set's absolutely beautiful, and they've got a recording of Blofeld, we believe, from Spectre yeah. asking for a hundred million payoff. 
or they will bomb a major British or American city. Terrifying. Yeah. Well, not really. 100 million's not that lot. Just give it them. <gasps> they spend the entire film saying, right, you know, what's Bond? What has he found out? You know, do we have to pay up? Or rather than. I think, obviously, I think was it, the world's not enough for kind of other films like uh, later down the line. Obviously, M's official stance as well. We do not negotiate with terrorists. So. Yeah, that's still the line, but they, they go with it. Yeah. And we've got possibly the only M stroke Bond scene. Certainly in the Bernard Lee era, that I think rivals Doctor No. I quite like this. They've got that all the double O's have to go in separately to be given their assignments, and he is assigned to Canada, which confuses me. They've stolen some atomic weapons, so we're going to send you to Vancouver. I don't know what really. <laughs> okay. Well, aren't they like spreading themselves across the world to kind of investigate where it could be? Or I guess so. You're so far flung, don't you? You think where where could it be? But I think I I'd have to agree with you. I do like this kind of Bond M scene as well. So it's one of the few scenes in which you, you can see that he actually respects Bond as, as as a person and also as a double O agent. Yeah, because they open the the pack we just talked about. They open it in the briefing room, and there is a picture of the dead guy with his sister Domino. And it's taken in the Bahamas. Nassau. Nassau, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yep. And he's told he's going to Canada. And he says, I think you should send me to Nassau. And he explains why. And he says that he saw that guy dead the previous night, the previous day at Shrublands. And um, who, who's that guy in the room with them? That that was like uh, like uh, someone from the air force who was assigned to go with. Who's going to like be? He's like, his liaison. Yeah, his liaison. Yeah. And he says, "Well, that's impossible because he reported for duty and flew the mm. craft." And M says, and Becca, you alluded to this, that he really says, "Well, if 007 says it, we I have to in- investigate. I have to must be true. Initiate yeah. inquiries." And yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry to kind of put you at the post there, Dave, but yeah, that's one of the main reasons why I do like this scene, because there's a few scenes, instead of him going, you know, admonishing Bond or... And you can see M thinking as well, because he's looking at the picture and it's like, do you think she's worth going after? Really? And now, if that had been the Roger Moore era, and again, I'm not using this to passion. <laughs> it would have been a raised eyebrow, wouldn't it? Do you think it's worth it? going after? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, he's right, he, but the thing is, Connery kind of has that same look, and like, kind of like, what? Yeah, he does. There's definitely a bit of innuendo in this, but M very straight asks him do you think this is a really viable lead and he says yes and yes he comes out and has a bit of byplay with um money penny and jokes about domino having two moles on her two moles yeah um Can't miss. but i really really like this scene yeah it's a it's a, it's a solid mm. you know bond m scene really i mean i i, I mean i'll be to be honest i I, I, I said I said at the beginning how it's kind of one of Connery's weakest, and it kind of is and it kind of isn't because I I generally really like Thunderball now. I I, I after rewatching it, Certainly. I was thinking, you know what, this is a solid film. This is a solid Bond film, and it it doesn't have the fast pacedness of most of the others, but and maybe the, all the underwater stuff, you know. 
could have been, but it, it is just a solid Bond spy film, and you know, and it's really great. It has so many good elements, like particularly like the, um, oh, what's her name? The 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 bad lady. Bob. Fiona Volpe. Yeah. Um. Uh, what was her name? Sorry. Fiona Volpe. Yeah, Vanilla. Uh, I can't even pronounce it. Anyway, <laughs> I never know if it's Volpe. Redhead lady. <laughs> yes, and I'm. I'm. It's a bit weird how uh, all evil Bond women have red hair, especially in the in the Connery era. Oh. Have you noticed that? Oh, that was again this uh, week. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh. it's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, I think she really stands out mm. as a great. I don't know. She's just great. She's such authority and kind of she's sexy and seducive and evil. She's great. I love her. Uh, and she's kind of got this like sort of kind of really sort of weird vanity about her how but how she's really sort of like authoritative is that it's, it's it's almost like she she almost bosses lager about almost <laughs> <laughs> like uh but uh but she she has this weird kind of vanity about like sort of like that kind of like what what what, what do you mean do you know what she would have James been amazing Bond, like... if she'd been that age when the world is not enough came out i like yeah. sophie marceau but wouldn't she be awesome as electric king Terrifying. It'd I be really, really good. I don't know. I think for Electric King, you need to buy the fact that she's a you know a, a good person. Don't you think she could turn it on and off though? I agree. I think she could. Um, maybe I've only just thought of it. It might be. A I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think if if she could, she could really sell like the being being like a a, a goodie. Uh, as much as she can sell being a baddie, so that tonal twist would be like, oh fucking hell, then I would probably agree. But uh, I think Sophie Marceau's got the opposite problem. I buy her as good, and when she turns bad, I'm not completely convinced. No, that's yeah. it. You guys have that ability, haven't you, to kind of show you? Whereas Volpe, I think, can kind of. Luciana Paluzzi, I mean, is it? She can do. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, she has a Electric King kind of has. I don't know. When she goes bad, I can see what you mean because she's a little bit like a, a sport. She comes child, off as petulant. That, yeah, but really... then that, but then that's what I kind of like about it because it's like, oh, you know, just a, just <laughs> <laughs> a sport brat. Yeah, essentially, it's just like just oh, kind of that twisted. Really, she's actually just demented now, and so um, yeah, she's kind of driven driven crazy by it all. I think, isn't she? So. Mm. We get anyway, to, that, that's for to, another film. Yeah. So we get to the Bahamas, and did you notice the sort of reuse of a previous cast member? He, he meets up with a lady called Paula. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, the ill-fated Paula. Yeah. Where have we seen her before? Do either of you know? No. <laughs> Becca, you're on to it. Yeah, she was at the gypsy camp. Yeah, she was. She was one of the uh, two gypsy women fighting. Yep. Um, Martin Bezik? Hold on, I'm going to check that's correct. No, it is correct. It is. I watched this film yesterday. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I, I was poorly. Never mind. But then we cut to a lot of underwater photography. And to be honest, I, I think this just film just has a wonderful setup. And, it, and it's fantastic until Volp dies. And after that, it's very, it is people fighting slowly. Underwater. <laughs> Sounds like a short slow motion. I mean, can can we talk about that that whole sequence in the Kiss Kiss Bang? Um, is, sorry, is it is it the Kiss the Kiss Kiss Club? Yeah, I think it's called the Kiss Kiss Club, club yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
and that whole sequence where like I mean that that's when she's at her element. Um, but but that whole thing where like she, I just I just love that whole scene. I think that's what sold sold me for it because uh, you have you have Connery as Bond, kind of like literally almost panicking. I mean like he is cool as fuck in this film, but. That that's the bit where he's like shit, shit, shit. He's shit. looking around right. very furtively because he knows there's yeah. a gun on him from somewhere. Yeah, so he's literally like, and and he's injured as well. So he like goes in the club, thinks like, okay, Taylor go out, and, he's, and he kind of tries to hide. I, I love I love how he just like just randomly takes a woman and goes like, oh yeah, don't mind if yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't she say so something you're... about him being mad or something? Yeah, you're mad. You are. Isn't like, everyone around here? Isn't everybody? <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 I love that little interact. Even though it's kind of fake, but I love that kind of like he's, he's that. Oh, he always just charms her. You know, he's just kind of like trying to save your skin. And then like uh, she, she cuts in, and he's like, "Oh, you should have told me your wife was here." Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the whole. Uh, well, believe it or not, I'm going custom to your face. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> not the most romantic line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, but no, but it's, it's, it's yeah, but it's. Yeah, backhanded compliment. Yeah, that's true. I, I do but, kind of um, go back and forth between Bond and, and Fiona as well. It's kind of like, they're almost kind of like sizing each other up. Um, well, after they sleep together, mm. do you mean? I think that there's a, oh, when they go to their hotel, there's a scene where they're kind of in a car and you see, you kind of cut between like Bond's reaction and, and the speedo is kind of going quick. She's quicker. driving fast. Yeah, she's driving, yeah, yeah. I think 100, and, 120. Probably and uh, <laughs> he spots, he spots uh, the spectre ring on her, on her thing, so he knows like, shit. Yeah, like, ah, I got your, got your number. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny a bit earlier in the film because um, I'm not too hard on bad stunt work or whatever. But uh, Lippy from Shrublands tries to kill Bond because I think he knows Bond's onto him. Sure, but he's killed by Fiona Volp first for failing to realize Jack Bouvard. So yeah, is is that what it was? Because I wasn't sure if ever like they were kind of trying to. Decided not to kill Bond just yet for whatever reason. I was like, well, why would they not want to kill? No, Bond? no, no. She killed him for. Fake. But it, it, no, it, was it was just to, actually no, it was out to do of... with screening. The guy they've just been stung for more money. Mm. Yeah, and it's for failing to see that was going to happen. So it's just sheer luck that you managed he to kill him while he's trying to kill Bond. But it makes me laugh because that is definitely a man on that bike. Because oh yeah, push, it's obvious, isn't and, it? And when they push, when she pushes the bike into the water, very very male build. Yeah, and then a she whips off like the helmet, and she's got like lovely long red hair and a nice drawn-in waist. It's just quite funny. The track. Somebody is a completely different person, isn't it? Clearly, to the, between the two shots. But you know, hey, it's the sixties. Women, you know, are not allowed to do these things, which are <laughs> women's lib. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Women weren't allowed to run the marathon at the Olympics till nineteen eighty-four. It's just like I don't know what people thought was going to happen. That's it. But also, you got women. You got women as. As a villain as well. I mean, bad enough. You had um, on a black man um, in Goldfinger as not only a lesbian but also a woman who had to be turned. But then obviously, as I said last week or the week before, um, you know Fiona Volpe said, you know basically lampooned some of the bad reviews that they got. Bond, yeah. Basically lampooned some of the reviews that earlier Bond movies got. Basically, that Bond has to be has to you know turn the villain into onto the right side of righteousness. I can't get that. I, can't, I need yeah, to find the quote. I must. I, I do yeah, know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so she is deliciously evil. She is like Spectre. Yeah, 
through and through, and you know, and that's what, and that's why she's great. You know, mm. she's just like, like bad, she just loves it, just kind of through and through. That's it. I, I don't yeah. think she's what makes this film work necessarily, but, but, but she's a but great element in it. I think this film dies with her. Oh really? I, I do. I mean, she's she's shot where you, where you're talking about. She seems to be shot between uh, Bond's middle and forefinger. Uh, <laughs> that's an yeah. piece of aim. Um, that's a but she dies, and and then you know I've said this in previous weeks. Maybe I'm just not an action film guy. But and you're watching the Bond movies? What? <laughs> I know. I know it sounds odd, but like then we just descend into like not very interesting action for the last. To, to be fair, Thunderbolt isn't the Bond film to go for action, let's face it. Um, yes, but they still try to sell, in inverted commas, action. Yeah. But that action is a lot of difficult to distinguish people underwater. And I think, in mm. some respects, this is the most dated of the Connery era. And I don't mean visually, because, I mean, I think there's later films than this that look older. But the whole intention of the film, as we said with Doctor Nowhere, it's a lot of wish fulfillment. There's a lot of that in this, and and it's playing to an audience that isn't there anymore, because an awful lot of this budget is spent on underwater photography, where we're supposed to go, wow, well, 50 years on, we're not going to say wow, because we've seen all sorts of underwater photography since then. Um, and I just think it's, it's the same with a lot of the... And that is an awful lot of this film. An awful lot of this film is they're fighting underwater. Isn't that amazing? Well, it's not actually that exciting now. I, I still think this yeah. falls falls into the the classic era. I, I still think Bond, sorry, Connery's Bond is really great in the first four films, but yeah. I, I do think this is the weakest of the four. You would have thought they would have fit in a boat chase in this one, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you've got the I mean, there kind of is at the, the end, but... On, on, board the, on board the ship, but yeah, this is considering a lot of it set in, in or underwater, the boat chase. Mm. What's going on? But I'd also argue a little bit, Dave. You kind of have to look at it at, in in the, the time capsule when it was shot as well, like in sort of 1965. Obviously, international travel was opening up, and it was realistic for people to go to the Bahamas and and then to scuba dive and, and travel abroad. Um, and it's so it's just like a very you're opening up um, like a holiday brochure, really. Mm. So you I have to look at it in that I respect. Think that's what I'm saying though that yeah, pretty much this film. It, it, it's not like that anymore. Obviously, we, you can do it now. I, I think an awful just, lot of this budget is... not quite the same is, audience. I mean, we, we look at... Well, when we go back a little bit further, um, uh, we've deliberately not steered too much into the whole story behind this film because I think there's a more interesting story to tell when we get to Never Say Never Again. But this film was nearly the first Bond film, nearly shot in the late 50s, nearly under a different name. But broadly, the first Bond film was nearly an, a very underwater adventure with most of the same plot points. And a lot of that was, wouldn't that be amazingly exciting and beautiful and all the rest of it? And I'm not sure that anyone would make a series now and say it would just be amazing if we shot underwater because it's a lot no. more routine. And we can't fully put ourselves back into this time. And whilst it doesn't necessarily look any older than Goldfinger or anything else, in some respects it's more dated because a lot of the wow factor of this film has gone. 
you don't have that much anymore, do you? I think if they were to do it now, you'd have to include, you know, bigger, bigger stunts, more impressive set pieces, and also a lot more kind of like CGI, perhaps, or definitely improve the writing and editing. I think to to really get that wow factor back. There would be eleven million sharks in it now. Yeah, with exactly. lasers attached to their head. With lasers attached to their head and but a I'm massive go, well, pair of say, on each of them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I will say this: I did like some of the uh, the visual choices, like when uh, when Largo throws that henchman to the sharks, and you just see like from the from his perspective. Under the water, the, and, yeah, know. and he just uh, starts turning a little bit like pink from the blood. I just thought that was, little things like that. I, I, just I thought, think oh, this that, is the that's most really good Bond film we've seen so far. Yeah, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Really stunning. Everything, every single scene is just dripping. Just amazing. There's no need to be obscene. Well, well no, but <laughs> it's just, just it's it, brilliant. It just is so it as beautiful as Connery's uh, orange jumpsuit at the end? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just ignore ignore that fact. So. <laughs> Mind you, the one thing I will say is, um, as I say, in about let me think now, in about six or seven weeks, we'll get to the remake of this. Um, it might be a bit longer than that. What is it, Bond? No, this is film four. Uh, Octopus. I don't count it as the official count. like nine anyway. weeks. We are. We're, we're going to get to the remake anyway. And in the remake, the ship is called the Flying Saucer, mm. and in this, it's called the Disco Volante. Isn't that so much better? Well, yeah, it's, it's the translation, <laughs> isn't it? So. Yeah, I know, but what a shit translation. Go with I know, Flying Saucer. I know you're trying to make it a little bit different because you want your rival series, but you know. Might as well call it UFO. <laughs> Silly name. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. The henchwoman in this, while she doesn't have the sort of memorable look that you've got with like Odd Job or anything, she's a definite high point. What do we think of Domino? I think Domino looks fantastic. I mean, she's stunning in mm. this. Uh, I think her character needed to be drawn out as a little bit, yeah, a little bit more personally. Uh, she came across as a little bit flat, and I don't think that's really down to the actress who played her. I think there just there was just nothing in the script for her. I don't think she said at one point in the film that she was, you know, she could never find a man like her brother, which was simultaneously like Jolie style creepy. Yeah, but also it, but, it, it simultaneously ended up made, making us sound a bit simple again. It's yeah. almost a bit honey riderish. Well, she is. She is oh, sorry, Chris, go on. Sorry. No, well, she is kind of. It's a shame because, like, she is. A, she comes across as flat, but yeah, she kind of has like a bit of a, a meaty revenge twist to her. Well, she does. You know, she does like, yeah. So, 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 you think there'll be like, oh, there's actually a lot to explore and develop out of that. Uh, you know, with like the first half, with like Bond kind of tiptoeing around the fact that her brother's dead, but and she's kind of like in this vulnerable position without even knowing it. And then, uh, then the second half, she's aware and kind of you know is with Bond, but kind of angry and wants revenge. So I think there'll be more to that, but it just doesn't really come out as well as it should. You know, it just comes across a bit flat. No, they, they don't really explore that that much. I mean, if you compare it to somebody like Melina in Fury's Only, who does have the revenge mission. Oh, yeah. And she's a lot more developed, I th- in my, in my, in my <clears throat> anyway. I tell you, um, who the, the Bond girl I think is kind of closest to her is probably somebody like Solitaire, in the extremely beautiful and memorable for that beauty, but kind of not that interesting. No, I mean, both of them are sort of kept women, aren't they, as well? I mean, obviously, she's they Solitaire's kind of kept. They look a little bit similar. Yeah, definitely. But I think she's kind of, she's very much like the... Um, 
oh what's her name domino <laughs> sorry um yeah domino is like the archetypal um which is damsel in distress um i was listening to the the commentary on this which i thought it was quite interesting and just mentioning like, how how the character only kind of she only smiles or appears happy when she's with bond whereas obviously when she's with largo she's kind of very downcast and quite meek and well, he's not exactly a laugh a minute, no, though, is he? No, he's not the, most, not the most happiest of chaps. Um, but I think it's it's quite interesting how I think it was mentioned. I, I can't remember the name of the chap who mentioned it, sorry. Um, but it's kind of, the movie's quite more about how Bond seduces Domino and kind of, you know, tries to save her um, rather than his recovery of the nuclear warheads. <laughs> but I think it's kind of... Obviously, Thunderball has so many great lines, so many great quotable lines. But um, I've, I've got it in front of me, so I'm going to quote it. Well, and that's how kind of oh, how did you know the Russians called me Domino? It's on the bracelet on your ankle. And Domino's obviously so watch out with the lies you got. And Bond says, Wait till you get to my teeth. I think that mm. she's responsible for so many of his great lies. Well, we, we're actually gonna get to this next week and it, it only occurred to me between weeks recording that we haven't mentioned Richard Maybaum yet. No. Because um the reason I say that is up until Licence to Kill, which was Bond 16, Richard Maybaum had written 13 of the films. There's three he's not involved with, and the first is next week. And we'll come to, for those of you who haven't, who haven't sort of looked into sort of who's behind the scenes on these films, you might be a, bit, a little bit surprised to find out who writes next week's film. But um, the first five were written by Richard Maybaum, and actually, compared to what we get, particularly later on in the Brosnan era, the, the dialogue's pretty sharp here. Yeah, it's one of the best. I think it's one of the sharpest scripts in the series, if not certainly yeah. within um, Connery's mm. tenure. Yeah, he's, he's got quite a few good payoff lines, like uh, when Vel gets killed, it's uh, it's like, oh, excuse my friend, she's just dead. And I, I, I love like how Connery says it as well. His delivery is so great. It. It's just like he's, he's kind of like laughing. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... It, 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 I can kind of see like um, what uh, Dave was saying, like what uh, I can see Craig having that same sort of thing. Definitely. You know that that kind of yeah, uh, and also uh, yeah, I think he got the point. Or even know. even the things he doesn't say, like there's a scene where it's with, between like Bond and, and Fiona when she's in the bath. He goes, "Oh, can you you know hand me something to put on?" And he gives her a pair of shoes. <laughs> just does it so casually. It's like, oh, okay. I love the way after they sleep together, he says something like, "You know, you didn't think I enjoyed that, did you? I did that for like, was it King or Queen and Country?" Well, this is it. Oh yeah, I, I, laugh. I, I just, I just feel like if he was being honest, you know, you don't think I enjoyed sex with the really fit redhead, do you? <laughs> with the villain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with the person who could kill me at any moment. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But it's kind of yeah, he kind of he, he gets he gets one wrong, doesn't he? Obviously, he's like, you know, do you think I enjoyed it and. It's like, well, you can't win them all, you know, and it's probably this first probably failure, maybe, of of the series. Mm. So, Chris, thinking about it, right? I mean, we've argued, we haven't argued, we've talked about Connery's best performance. I think we'd all agree this is a good performance by Connery. This is a solid. We, we are in a very attractive-looking Bond film. We've both spoke. We've all spoken highly of yeah. the villain. We've all spoken highly of a fantastic henchwoman. We've all talked highly of Connery's performance. We've all talked highly of so many aspects to this film, including the fact it's very pretty to look at. So why does this feel lesser to most of us than what the three we've had before? I think the sped up, sped up I, scenes have a lot to answer for. Probably. probably. On an aesthetic I mean, level. 
I think the the thing about this is is you think about uh, that you know from Russia of Love is it feels kind of different and has a lot of it's very fast paced has a lot of action you know has has a good plot Goldfinger is just solid uh, enjoyment and really uh, remember uh, memorable and really memorable as a film it's just like it just stands out it's got really really sharp imagery as does Doctor No you know it has you know it's the first introduction upon it has you know particular moments um this kind of it's just solid it's just decent Bond film but there isn't really many moments that stand out particularly if you consider the films that follow follow on from it it kind of feels like all all the things that would stand out are continued on in the series mm. so that's kind of why I think as well as all the underwater slow motion kind of crap um, <laughs> which would have looked amazing in 1965 yeah no, uh, no. Well, it, it, I, kind of, I, it, it doesn't have the wow it factor. does but it doesn't yeah yeah I I think that's why in at least in our hearts that like, it doesn't um, not to say hold up, but just isn't like as memorable as it was. But I mean, but watching it now, I certainly think better of it. Watching it, it's grown on like, me as I've got older. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree there. I think it kind of it floats in and out of my top five, occasionally top ten. But I haven't having rewatched it again for this podcast, and obviously watching it on Blu-ray. Um, the underwater scenes do look magnificent, but a little bit they too long. They go on a bit long, yeah. Yeah, they got they go on a little bit. I'm afraid to say. Um, but yeah, that's that's. That it's quite. Yeah. <laughs> vi- it's actually more violent than I remember because I remember watching it in a good old ITV, you know, and oh. and the majority of the violent, even the underwater bits where you see people get proper their eyes smashed in, you know, like sort of like gouged with spears, and even at the beginning bit when he fights the uh, the the guy in drag, uh, <laughs> it's like like usually it cuts like to when he trips up and into the fireplace. Oh, he's had one at the fireplace. He's dead, but watching it now it's like oh no he gets the fire poker and literally breaks his neck, breaks his yes, neck. It it's like oh quite well that's a bit more harder more violent than i remember it being definitely yeah, like when, I, when i look at the connery era though regardless of how you like them <coughs> i mean i've got friends on twitter and people are probably listening to this podcast who really love next week's film but whether you love or hate it i think the first four films feel of a piece, and then his last two kind of feel different somehow. I don't know if that's the way he looks, because he's gained weight, or different cinematography, or different directors, or whatever. But his first four films feel... I kind of wish he'd quit after this. Yeah, I think he was going to, wasn't he? And then I think that's why well, they briefly brought in George, and then... Now I look back on it, I mean, not so much next week, but when we get to Diamonds... You know, well, they start it, to get more Roger Moore. Get more silly, yeah. There's something about being betrayed by someone. <laughs> you could Roger Moore. <laughs> you know, I I like Connery so much that a bad entry from him hurts so much more. And uh, I, I think that through here, I mean, as I say, he's the way he moves, the little sort of nonchalant things he does. Um, it, it feels of a piece with the early films as well. Uh, and next week they start to feel a bit different. Yeah, things go a little bit downhill slowly. I'd say so. I don't. Know. I mean, I. I mean, I. To be honest, I. Re- I kind of went on a bit of a Bond, 
uh, Mad Rush, and I just ended up watching. I I continued on. I watched uh, few, uh, you know, twice and Majesties, and then I decided, well, you know what, I'm gonna. I fancy watching Few Eyes Only, and then, as you know, Dave, I watched View <laughs> <laughs> to uh, Kill. He, he watched, uh, <laughs> he watched uh, just off the point for a second. I genuinely thought, look, I, I don't want to be seven weeks of it was rubbish. So I thought I'm going to watch some Roger Moore and genuinely, open-mindedly try to enjoy it. And I watched. I, I'm used to, and, and I watched Room Breaker. Well, as well. I'm, I'm used that's, to, that's a fun film. Well, I'm, I'm used to watching the ones from Moore by relative, relatively I like. So I've seen two or three of his a lot more than the rest. And and I haven't actually seen Moonraker that often comparatively. I've still seen it a lot of times. So I sat and watched Moonraker and then For Your Eyes Only. And then you came online, Chris, and you were going to watch A View to a Kill. So we watched that slightly drunk past midnight a few nights ago. Sounds <laughs> <And laughs> <was> like fun. <laughs> I, you know, we'll get to them when we get to them. But I, I have to say already I managed to enjoy them on a level I haven't so far. Oh, that's good. Um, the one I still struggled with was Octopussy. Was Maybe bored. the wine helped. Uh, yeah, the wine no, probably no. helped. I was still bored shitless by Octopussy. And, and, and I, 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 kind of, I, I enjoy Octopussy. Moonraker, which is rare. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Moonraker. Uh, it was it was funny. Uh, I it's a really funny Moonraker film. You'd... It's, it's I, not as bad. Actually... I'll say now, it is nowhere near as bad as its reputation. Well, well, okay. Spoiler for the Moonraker episode, but uh, the the best thing about it is the villain. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but but I funny enough, I did think of Moonraker as you were uh, talk, like talking about uh, the interaction between uh, Bond and M because they have a sim. M has a similar sort of thing with Roger Moore. Oh, in Venice, yeah, yeah, where he's like, you know, where apparently, oh, never been so embarrassed in uh, for uh, like. No one else to see but a guy in a room, and it's like, okay, well, that's embarrassing. Yeah, right. And and basically, Bond's meant to be like sort of, you know, default. Basically, made to look silly, he's but he's still kind of goes. M still trusts him. Yeah, he kind of like goes. He kind of like, but there's a little bit of mutual trust because he kind of pulls something out. I mean, know I, I, I will say now, there we're not going to finish this series as we joked about in the first episode with me saying Roger Moore's the best James Bond. Of course, that's not going to happen. But I managed to sit and watch one of the two films he did that are probably ranked at the bottom. I mean, you would you would put, in general opinion, A View to a Kill of Moonraker tend to be the bottom two in one order or another. Yeah, it tends to be as well. And I watched Moonraker, and I thought he looked the part, generally speaking. I thought it was, oh, yeah, it's got goofy moments I'm not fond of, but there are worse Bond films than Moonraker. And I may not have said that a year or so ago. Diamonds. <coughs> not um. even. If, if it's it's still in the bottom half, and it might even be in the bottom five. But if it is, it it's only just Moonraker's not too bad. Well, oh, interesting. Well, yeah, a view to a kill, on the other hand. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, even in casting, all right, you've got a fifty-seven-year-old Bond, so you got to go with that because he's contracted. But, you know, if I wanted to infiltrate, you know, a potentially a villain's lair, they're not sure if he's a villain at this point. I'm not sure I'd send 57-year-old Roger Moore and 63-year-old Patrick McNee. It, that, that's not really the dream team. That's like sending my granddad and his mate. 
But anyway, <laughs> we, we managed to enjoy it. We managed to get some enjoyment about it. In all honesty, I, I, you know, we'll talk about them more when we get there, but genuinely, the Mod- Roger Moore films, I am learning to find things I enjoy in and get through them. The one exception to that at the moment, and we'll try again when we get there, is Octopussy. I genuinely find Octopussy. I, I really enjoy Octopussy, so... Maybe I think it's a really... Actually, Octopussy. I think it's one of his better performances. I think he's actually pretty good in it, though he's too old. Like, For Your Eyes Only as well, uh, obviously. Yeah, but we all um, like For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only, he's yeah. still too old. I mean, he is, but it's a really yeah. good bomb film. He's too old for uh, Moonraker. Moonraker, yeah. I mean, he is too old. When you get close into him, he's really quite craggy by that point. But Moonraker's the last film where he looks relatively slim. They dress him quite well. In Moonraker, they dress him in quite a lot of black. He looks quite, He looks very smart. But he dressed him in quite a lot of black, which yeah, is a lot of dark colours. And I watched for your eyes only right afterwards, and and the weight gain is actually quite surprising. <laughs> in two years, he suddenly looks out of shape and too old. Um, no, he does look quite old. I mean, you, you've got kind of... Boomraker. He gets away with. He looks okay. Um, but it's obvious but... by a view to a kill. He does look a little bit too long in the tooth. Oh, it's embarrassing by a view to a kill. <laughs> Sorry, Sir Roger, but you know, I've got to sacrifice myself. He means basically I've got to sleep with women if they want. And it's like, no one's going to sleep with you, honestly. No, well, that, that's why he refuses a baby, doesn't he? He's obviously too too young. Sorry? Uh, he's but... too, too old even, sorry. <laughs> it sounds really sad to say, but it, what makes it worse is the scenes of Money Penny, when Money Penny literally looks like they're all at the races at one point, and you look at them, and I, yeah, and I know M it. isn't meant to be young because he's the boss, but you look along the line, right, and this will be sacrilege what I'm about to say in a minute. <gasps> you know what I'm going to say, Des- even Desmond Llewellyn is too old, oh. and I loved him, and I was, I was gutted when he died, but he's supposed to be this cutting-edge technology bloke, and... I don't really see him as the cutting edge technology bloke, maybe because he was always oldish when maybe. I was growing up. But, to be honest, I, but he, if, but if he, Desmond he was, Llewellyn he was, was still alive now at 101, wow. I wouldn't complain if they wanted to put him in a Bond film because I loved him. But no, that's you look it. along that line in A View to a Kill and you've got Bond way too old. You've got Q, too old. You've got Money Penny, way too old. I mean, not to play a secretary, but there's meant, I, I mean, there's meant to be like a sexual frisson there. And they're both yeah. too old. I mean, Q you could get away with anyway because he's not a field agent. He's just a guy in a lab making no, he's, adventures. He's more like the boffin type. So, yeah. So and it's you like, do have aging you know, boffins, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you don't. He, he doesn't need you know for an old for that to be an old guy doesn't. It's you know, not, it's not that world. unbelievable. You know what I mean? It's like oh well, you know, and you know by that there time. Are, <laughs> kind of, when we get to for your eyes, he, he's kind of like. He's kind of like an uncle, kind of. Yeah, he's like, that kind of. Yeah, familiar you would character. Say avuncular, wouldn't you? You, you would say avuncular. That, yeah. That's what yeah. the guy is. When we get to um, for your eyes only, um, for reasons you may not have noticed, that scene, that cue scene in that film is hilarious. And for reasons you haven't <laughs> thought of, and I'm going to spoil it now because bollocks. Why not? We're talking about it. He goes into the lab, right? And they play um, Nobody Does It Better on the keypad to get into the room. And they go in to use that identigraph to find yeah. whatever that character's called. And it's a really busy lab, you know, doing their day's work. They go in there, having played Nobody Does It Better on the keypad. They sit for a minute and a half. Roger Moore describes this guy 
And then when the door opens again, they've all shut up and all the lights are off for the night. <laughs> and it's 90 seconds later. They've and they've got, the they've got their like, coats off and their sleeves, sleeves rolled up. See, I just find it ridiculous how from Roger Moore basically sort of describing the guy, they come up with pretty much a photograph of the guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly I know he's a secret agent, right? And, and even like cops and stuff would notice things we wouldn't because they're trade to. But oct- octagonal glasses from that distance? Really? Amazing. He counted the sides on it from how far away? <laughs> um, a machine. He's a well-oiled machine. Yeah, but no, um, back to this film. I wish this had been Connery's last. Because lots of people whose opinion I respect really like next week's film. And it's not all bad, but we, we're dropping from like this almost unimpeachable standard down a bit. And by Diamonds Are Forever, it's one of the best, one of the worst Bond films and one of the worst Bond performances of the lot. And it's from the worst from the best Bond, in my opinion. It, it's incredible how bad he got that you, you wanted, you actually... Live and Let Die has always been relatively high up my list of Roger Moore films. And it's only occurred to me in the last few months that I don't actually think it's that good. I think it's because I'm just relieved after how bad Diamonds is. That it got so bad with Sean Connery that I didn't want to see him sort of soil his reputation anymore. So I'm kind of relieved when Sean Connery goes and Roger Moore comes along, as much as he's not my my favourite Bond. And I think the process starts after this. This is the last really committed performance we get from him. I mean, I do... I mean, look, we'll, we'll get to it next week, so stay tuned, folks. Uh, but I, I, my, my memory of uh, you of Twice... Is it's still great, but it's not terrible. Yes, it really yes, isn't. There are there, are, there are a few issues, but um, it, it's just I. It, it's I mean I, I I would I would say not as far as what you said, but I would say he definitely shouldn't have come back for diamonds. In fact, I think diamonds is a step too far. I think. Do you know watching this almost changed my opinion on Daniel Craig? In in as much as when when you've got a bond you like, you just want them to go on and on. And I'm getting to the point where, even with Craig, as much as I'd love him to come back and do a fifth, I'm starting to think, well, leave him wanting more. That's and if, I mean. if Sean Connery had left after this, he wouldn't have made a if... single misstep in in his entire run. Well, it's a nice little run. So if you so let's just say every Bond actor does four. So Brosnan did four. So, like, you say Roger Moore, he, he would have been better if he did, like, about four, because that would have been, like, Moonraker and done. Um, and, and if you ask me if, if Roger Moore left after Moonraker, that would, be, that would have been... I mean, we'll get to a few hours only, but I think it's, like, four is basically the magic number, because, obviously, you're, uh, it's looking like Daniel Craig's going to do about four. Uh, I, Brosnan did four. It, you are saying Connery... Uh, it wouldn't be better if he did about four, maybe five. Uh, I, I think it's quite evident watching Roger Moore that uh, he should have signed, signed off after Moonraker, which would have been his fourth. He, I mean, he did uh, do a better because, film afterwards, but just from his age I, and I know, look and everything, I think, I think I, I, Moonraker... I said in the opening episode that he, he should have been gone after The Spy Who Loved Me. I take that back to a degree. I think he still looked the part in Moonraker. And first, Moonraker suit the plot of Moonraker suited him all. So, yeah, but he, uh, I mean, forget that he looked the part though. 
I mean, he was but, early 50s, but he looked fit, healthy, but and well. If, if you think of the tonal shift that is Moonraker and Fiora's only, that would have suited... Dalton. That, yeah, well, that, that would have suited a different bond, whether it's Dalton or not. That well, you said, we were talking on Twitter different... the other night, weren't we? And you said, yeah. wouldn't that have been perfect for Lewis Collins? And you're absolutely yeah. right. When you look at Lewis Collins' age and when he did the professionals and graduation yeah. to the big screen, and then I said the magic words that changed. I said, uh, what did I say? <laughs> Dalton was 37. Dal- yeah, Dalton, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, but things like that, uh, uh, that it was like, oh, but then uh, we would have had another two Daltons. <laughs> We'd have had another three Daltons. And then you got the Fall of Magic number oh. as well, so you never know. Had he done two more, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Can you imagine had he done For Your Eyes Only, which we all like? Octopussy, I don't like, but I think it would have been better with Dalton in it. Definitely. A View to a Kill, most of its problems are a too old leading man. It's not actually that bad. The, that would have been amazing is, to see that with Dalton the, in it. That the, and then crazy. The Living Daylights and License to Kill, five really cool films. The thing is, though, you have to take into account that if you change the bond, then the film as a total would have changed. It, it gets like, tailored. Yeah, so it, you, you kind of like as goofy. Yeah, and but I can kind of now you say it, I can kind of see like it kind of having the uh, if you're the living daylight treatment. Should we can say? you imagine? <laughs> well, yeah, because actually the similarity is when you get to the living daylights, the short story is that opening bit. Right. Similarly, early in Octopus, you've got the property of a lady storyline, mm. and those are one of the, those are a couple of the best bits of each film. I think, yeah, I can totally imagine Dalton at that um, auction in Octopus. <sighs> shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, but Octopus. No, no, no. It though. I will say that Fury's only is the best Moore's in the role, though. Despite how he looks, he gives the best performance as Bond. Oh uh, yeah, I would agree there. I think it's got the whole. Kind of... I love how we just gone off topic. But Who cares? Exactly. We just made it off topic completely. Yeah, it's our podcast. Yeah, I we know. talk about whatever the fuck we like. <laughs> I know. I just. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we'll, we're coming towards the end of. Yeah, we are. So. We're going to go back to Thunderball in a minute, but I mean, this is relevant <laughs> because we're talking about really where Bonds end up for whatever they they promised, and you know. It, <sighs> Connery, had he done four, well, there'd been there'd be entries you'd like more than others, but there ain't an awful lot wrong with Thunderball, and there wasn't an awful lot wrong with what came before it, and what comes later is at very least more divisive, you know, because I, I know people who genuinely love You Only Live Twice, and if you're listening to this, I, I think I get it, I think I get why that film's really popular, but at very least, it's extremely divisive. Some of us love it, some of us hate it, some of us think it's like the start of the decline of the series. Nobody was saying that after Thunderball. Yeah, that's kind of true, because it's still solid, isn't it? It's still mm. a solid Bond film. Can you imagine going to the cinema uh, in 1971? Connery's back. Awesome! Yeah. And then you get... The Tosh that is Diamonds Are Forever. What? the hell i'd be like can i have my money back please uh we're gonna we're gonna be quite unkind to that film and what's heartbreaking about that film and again i was thinking about it earlier uh, it's it's so low down because it it's worse being hurt by someone you care about and and i think 
part of it is, in my opinion, the best or one of the very best James Bond, goes and gives the most bargain basement shit performance in the entire <laughs> series in one of the worst films, and that's far worse than watching Roger Moore goof his way through a film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You, you can tell I, that um, the comedy I, really is phoning it in. You just think, oh. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I suppose we'll get to Diamonds, but I, I, I mean, last time I watched that film, it was the day before Skyfall came out, <laughs> and I sat there, and I sat there like on my own in like after in this big massive house near Shrewsbury, uh, just getting absolutely levered, drinking single malt whiskey, and there's me watching Diamonds of Forever, pissed off my head. On, like, on, 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 on whiskey and and even then I thought this is shit <laughs> <laughs> so so. and, and the thing is when we get there something is off in the pre-titles you know yeah. kind of quickly I mean yeah. Die Another Day is well, well we'll compare the two I don't know if we'll rank these we might do I can imagine us doing a wrap up show when we finish yeah, the, the rank the films. we probably will sit and rank them whether we sit here and do 1 to 24 or whether we just do top few and bottom few I don't know but certainly Die Another Day is, is kind of held up there with Moonraker and Diamonds as like some of the worst in the series yeah, but there is a period through, through Die Another Day where you think it's oddly shot but this is kind of promising and that doesn't happen in Diamonds Are Forever, in that you get a couple of scenes where he goes, where is he? And you think, great, it's a revenge thing. And then he says, Bond, James Bond, in the most robotic way possible. <laughs> and you think, right, something's not right here. This isn't working. And you know immediately. No, it's, it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's bad points outweigh the good bits. I mean, there are, there are some redeeming features, but yeah, as I say, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. And it's, yeah, yeah not, I mean, not my favourite uh, of the bunch. Uh, oh, it's, my, it's got... And it's got one I, of my favourite fist fights in the whole series. What, what bit? The who lift? is your floor? Yeah, who is your floor, Peter? <laughs> that's up there. That is up. That's the only thing Connery did that was up there. Fist fight. That's, that's a great line. Who is your floor? Who is your floor, please? <laughs> yeah. Should we bring this back to? Should we wrap up Thunderball now? Well, why not? We why not? I mean, it's all relevant. And we strike. There isn't a definitive close point like this for any other Bond. No. In that we talk about Roger Moore and we say perhaps he should have quit at Moonraker. Uh, but what clouds that is, Moonraker's not very good, even though I had a better experience with it last week. And his next film, where he's too old, is brilliant. Um, there is no other Bond I can think of like this, where if you went bang, cut it there, he's not made a single misstep. And everything he does afterwards is at least compromised. I think because you've got a film like Moonraker, which is so far out and obviously in space and so ridiculous that they have to scale it back to yours only, which is much more of a, you know, back to basic spy thriller. Bloat and purge. Well, exactly, as you were explaining earlier, Dave. Mm. That's what it's all about. Um, I think that's why he gives such a much better performance than he does in, in Moonraker, which is a lot more comical and mm. perhaps unintentionally so. Mm. I don't know if we've talked about this so far. We it, This is a bit of a turning point in the whole series. In the uh, lawsuits and stuff. Um, as I say, this could have been a film. We've talked about this before. This could have been a the first Bond film. Um, but obviously, this this casts a shadow over the whole series going forward. Thunderball is has got one sole producer on it, and the name is Kevin McClory. How familiar are you yeah. with the Kevin McClory story? Uh, he's like. The guy determined to make Thunderball again and again 
and again. God loves a child. He loves a child. Because even after like Never Say Never again, it's like, well, we're yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to make one with Dalton in the next late nineties. Yeah, like Warhead two thousand or something, I think. It's like you know, it's like oh, just just quit. Like, you know, like either you start a separate Bond franchise, Which, or you or you or you just do your remake of Thunderball, and that's it. Don't just you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, it, I mean, as I say, I what I just don't get what he was trying to do. It's he like, was obsessed with it, and, and he, he was really obsessed with it. He was trying it. to make the same film over and over again. It ruined his own life. Yeah, it, 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 it killed him, didn't he? Like taking it through the courts, it really put his health through the ringer. And it killed Ian Fleming. Yeah, but Ian Fleming through the ringer as well, as Ian well as Fleming had like drinking two heart attacks during the the court the plagiarism court case. It did terrible. Yeah. But I, I, well, I mean, the, the the most part of that story, and I'm not sure how we'll structure it yet till we get there. But we'll tell more of the story when we get to never say never again, because basically there was very nearly a Bond film in the late '50s that was effectively Thunderball, although it would have been called something else. It gets made based on the Ian Fleming book in 1965, but he's accused of plagiarism because he's taken the screenplay. And made a book of it. And the deal is, Clevin McClory has a right to make what we know as Thunderball. And then he can't make any other Bond film for ten years. Listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong on that. Because I'm praising that from memory. And um, he throws his lot in with United Artists and the Bond producers. And he's named sole producer on Thunderball rather than making something separate. And I think 10 years seems like a long time at this point. The series has only been going three years. The problem is 10 years are up in 1975 and immediately he's on the case. He wants to make James Bond of the Secret Service with Sean Connery. And I want to get more into that when we get to Never Say Never Again because we'll fill in the time gap between 1965 and 1983 and talk about where it went from then. But certainly at this point the genesis of what became Thunderball, the film, landed the producers in court for the next three and a half decades. And it's the reason why we couldn't use Spectre or Blofeld. No, we didn't see Spectre again for a while. because it, of that. It's literally why we've got a film called Quantum of Solace. Well, 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 well the organisation's called Quantum and not Spectre, really. Um, but... I, it's just I, this 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 guy. I mean, look, you think like when it came to actually making Thunderball, he's like you're involved and you're mate. actually. You're, I mean, if he's a producer, he'd have had a decent cut. And as we yeah. discussed so, in previous weeks, Thunderball at this point is one of the most successful films ever made. Yeah. So you, you think that would satisfy? You, you think logically? You think, all oh, right, well, I really want to make Thunderball, but the the other people are off doing uh, the other bomb books. Oh, hang on! Let's get together and actually make it together, and everything's all sorted. You think that'll be okay? But uh, no, no. And, and the story—the no. story will go on from here. At the moment, we don't have a problem. We've got an ongoing Bond series. It was Ian Fleming Me- who was charged with plagiarism, not Eon Productions. So at this point, the settlement is 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 quite nice. It, Kevin McClory gets his cut of a very popular series. And we're all golden for the next decade. So at this point, we haven't got a problem. But there, there are storm clouds on the horizon. And it's it's of... It's it's based like, on it this. just boggles my mind. Because it's not like he's got, like... 
claim to any of the other books. He's got claim to one book. That book got made. The argument appears so, to be about Blofeld with, hi, with him and involved. the cinematic James Bond. Because I think we can all... I mean, it's worth talking about a little bit about before we sign off tonight. The differences between... This, I mean, we've all... I don't know if you have, Chris, but certainly Becca and I have read some of the books. Sure. Uh, have you read all of them? Because I haven't. I have read all of them. Right. I've only read through about six or seven. But... The cinematic James Bond is not the same as the book. No, it's very different. Uh, would we like to like expound a little bit on how? Well, in, in terms of like, appearance or in terms Character, of... Character, more than appearance, because anyone, lots of different men have played Bond. Well, no, no, definitely. How, 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 how does his character differ? Well, I think, is well, you really have to look at the books in terms of their setting, in terms of the, the time in which they're written as well. I mean, people say Bond is quite sexist in the films. Oh boy! <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely more misogyny there, and there's a lot more hard drinking, mm. um, hard smoking. Um, like Casino Royale opens with like you know the sentence "smoke of sweat of a casino" and nauseating at three in the morning, mm. and you think, "Oh my god!" You know, um, and there's a lot more of that really luxurious, lavish lifestyle. <laughs> um, Don't you ever get the impression reading the books that James Bond's got like undiagnosed depression? Yeah, I think so. There's def- there's a lot more kind of something like soul cancer or something like eating his soul and he's definitely sort of clinically depressed in there somewhere I yeah they just that's how and he's not it's, it's like drinking and womanizing tries to yeah and he's not quippy it. he's not quippy no it's not like making jokes out of every situation and it isn't the sort of roger moore stroke pierce brosnan approach of i could die tomorrow let's enjoy life no exactly i, I don't get that feel from it at all no, it's just more more kind of grim, isn't it? You've kind of got the, the mm-hmm. harsh reality of spycraft, I guess, that you could you could die. You're you're facing death every single day. Yeah, so but I think an awful lot of I think an awful lot of the debate was around well, yes, you have created this character, but a lot of what's now in the cinematic James Bond came from me. Or came from at least our because it was him and Jack Whittingham as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it comes from us. To me, as an outsider 40 to 50 years on, it looks a really paper-thin argument. You can imagine him sort of like being offered royalties from Thunderball, the book, and also Thunderball, the film. And you can also imagine them saying, um, don't use Spectre anymore. But this Mm. argument he had that he genuinely thought he could go to Sony and set up his own James Bond series. And you would have Eon Productions through, well, United Artists at the time, producing Bond films with Sean Connery or whoever. And at the same time, you'd have this sequence, you know, this sequence of films with, say, Sony, of James Bond films that were Kevin McClory. And I don't know what he bases that on, based on one plagiarised script. Several books into the series, it's not even like... Ian Fleming took that away and made the first Bond book out of it? No, it's it's a bit strange. I mean, I say there is um, that, oh, is it 2011, 2012, um, the documentary is Everything or Nothing, and that's kind of like a positive history of, of the Bond films. Strong um, recommend on that, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah it, it, Though it, it does feel more like a... A fleshed-out DVD feature, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit more. Of a it yeah, should have been an extra on Skyfall, but it's not. No, but it's really, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's really fascinating because they speak to a lot of, like, they speak to Roger Moore, they speak to Pierce Brosnan, 
um, and speak to Michael J. Wilson as well. But it, it tells you. All of them except Connery. Well, yeah, but basically, yeah, because Connery basically unfortunately doesn't want to um, have a part in any things. But um, he's taking his toys home with him. It, yeah, that's it. He's he's earned his money now. Um, well, he's torch. <laughs> he's too busy playing golf. And, I'm not uh, going in that shanty. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. If you want, if you want some more information, listeners, about um, about the McClory um, trial, then yeah, everything or nothing is a good documentary. Also, give you some good grounding on on what went on, what went on. So, and it will make you hate Kevin. The, that's the easiest laughs. way to find out. The the more difficult, if you really want to put the time to it, there is a book that is, and I mean no disrespect here, um, it's a little dry. But um, Robert Sellers wrote a book called The Battle for Bond. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, as well. It's really great. I think Becca and I certainly own copies, I think. Yeah, and, I've read um, it a couple of times now. It's... Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a little dry in places, but it takes you right the way through from the late 50s where they're trying to put this script together right the way through Never Say Never Again. And all of uh, it just consumed this man's life. That's it. I, 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 I so, came, you come out of it saying, I mean, your quote was about saying you, you hate Kevin McClory. Um, if you if you read something like um, not you personally, but that's how you'll feel. Um, but if you read something like Battle for Bonds, you'll kind of I I kind of I, well, I felt I felt a bit sorry for him just the way that it did consume his life and that he did so badly want to get this project off the ground mm. and how. But it's like uh, just it, here's why because he did get off the ground. He had Thunderball. Babe. Exactly, exactly. And, and, it's and never like, say never so, again. So let it, hit. let it slide. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, nothing, was, nothing would have been enough. I, I get the impression that the only thing that would have satisfied him is if a court had said, we are taking the rights from Eon and giving them to you. And based on yeah. one failed treatment, that seems, I'm not a legal man, but that seems like overkill. Yeah, a little bit too much. Um, mm. But his, his legacy is he is the sole producer on one of the biggest films of its era, but this will cloud the series as we go forward. They're fine for the next 10 years. They're fine through basically coming up to the spy who loved me. And then from then on, this guy is a massive thorn in their side. Yeah, he pops up like a reservoir wonderland, I guess, doesn't he? Because yeah, because wasn't um, Str- uh, Strongberg meant to be Blofeld in Spy yes. Love Me? But is that is that why it's not? Yes, Blofeld? absolutely. Meant to be brothers or something, weren't in they? Early in early. I mean, I, I'll research it more when we get there. And I, the reason is, I half remember things on that. I half remember that they were planning the Spy Who Loved Me, and then Kevin McClory something clouds can't remember the rest. Bug. So I, I need to like read up on it a, a, a bit more. But certainly at one point, yes, Blofeld was being talked about for The Spy Who Loved Me, and then they thought better of it. And obviously you've got... Um, was it... Was it they went um, head-to-head release with Octopussy. Yeah, they're not literally head-to-head. They're a few months apart. Yeah, I mean, they did apart, sort of similar, same year. But you are talking like something like June and October. Yeah, like the battle for Bond. Yeah. Quite literally. Um, it's quite an interesting story when we get there. And, and um, as I say, the genesis is all here. We've gone off topic a lot this night. But <laughs> g- genuinely, I don't think an awful lot of this listeners will get cut simply because it, it is all relevant. You know, an, an awful lot of... It's interesting too. What we see here. Well, we love Bond. So. There's something about bit poetic in a strange kind of way that Bond's greatest moment was almost the seeds of its downfall. 
because mm. this is the biggest Bond film adjusted for inflation. I mean, in absolute terms, it's beaten when we get to Live and Let Die. But in, in adjusted for inflation, paid admissions, this is the biggest Bond film until Skyfall. It, to this day, it's the biggest in North America. And... It's really close to call as well. Whether in terms when you do look at the figures between this and Skyfall, um, it's really, it's quite close to call. There's not much in it. No. Um, but okay, again, Skyfall's got bigger worldwide figures and much bigger British figures. Sure. In America, adjusted for inflation, it would be like or taking six hundred million or something. Yeah. Uh, it, it and it didn't. Skyfall took about three, something like that. And um, but. Off this massive hit where they must have been slapping themselves on the back and saying, we're bulletproof and this is amazing. Well, two years later, you get the first Bond spoof and their leading man turns up out of shape and not interested and threatening to quit. And you've set yourself on a path where the producer of this film is going to continually sue you until the late 90s. Because this goes on until 1999. And in actual terms, it goes on till 2006, because I think it was somewhere around then they get the rights back to Blofeld. Yeah, it's a long old battle. Yeah, and it's a very expensive battle, and it explains some of the gaps we get a bit later on as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, Thunderball, for me, I mean, I don't know about you guys, it's the prettiest but the weakest of the first four, but it's of a piece with the first four. Yeah, I think that's what I like about it. I mean, uh, it, it it's definitely grown on me because I, I was pretty down on it going into the, even doing this podcast. But we watching it, I was like, I really enjoyed it a heck of a lot more. And I appreciate it a heck of a well, lot more. What's different this time, Chris? I don't know. It just, I wasn't bored by it. I kind of, I just liked the, the plotting and I liked the characters more. And I liked how Connery is. And I just, I just enjoyed my time with it a lot more. I, I, I don't know. I I don't know, I always figured uh, Thunderball is kind of like the boring of, the most boring of the Connery ones. And I think, you, I I, think I, that's I, still true. I Yeah, but I didn't find it as much it, like now. It's not one, you know. but I mean, you know when we when we did From Russia With Love, and I said I, I, I like this film a lot, but of all my favourites I put it on least. Mm-hmm. Thunderball is in that camp as well, that I really like it, but I, I can't throw it on too casually. Yeah. No, I'd have to agree. It's rather than being in the top three, it kind of more than you know four or five slot as well. Well, here's the thing: you, you could watch Thunderball. Really... All of us could watch Goldfinger this right now. We yeah. want to the stick Thunderball. You... Right? You... I mean, uh, listeners, it's quarter past ten as we record this, so you know, it's getting rather late. But if someone said you got to stay up and watch one of the Connery Bonds, I think all of us could sit and watch Goldfinger. I'm not well, sure we could. Sit yeah, Thunderball, not so much, unfortunately. The thing is, though, you either go, like, really good, so you go, say, Fresh uh, from Russia, Goldfinger, License Kill, if it was for me, um, or, or something along those oh, I'm lines. I'm with you, I love or, License to Kill. Or you go, like, Moonraker, or Die Another Day, or, like, or, or View to a Kill, yeah, like, something just ridi- ridi- ridiculous but fun, kind mm. of, like, the, the, the classic Roger Moore type thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's where you go if you say I'm sadly not, Thunderball. Thunderball is one of the least casual watches of the series. Yes. Though, you say? Yeah, you have to invest quite a lot in it. I mean, for me, as we said before, it's kind of it looks but, the underwater scenes look gorgeous. Um, but yeah, this film is again, beautiful. Yeah, it looks good. So watching it again is more kind of the script it's more about well. the, the lines as well. But isn't? But I remember this being on ITV most frequently. 
Yeah, it's, it's literally well, just a typical bank holiday like bond. That. For me, this is a typical bank holiday bond movie. Yeah, I don't know what it is. The ITV schedule being dominated by Roger Moore. That was but you sh- well, then Connery is, is the, for this one. For Connery is like the token ITV. Oh, you know, it's Bank Holiday, shove bond on. Seeing the movie, Roger Moore. Spy, Spy Love Me is a popular one. Yeah, uh, Spy Love Me. Um, I, I do love Spy though. It has a special place in my heart. <laughs> I, I, the funny thing is, uh, our rankings are going to be quite screwy because we're so familiar with the films. And the reason I say that is, like, I mean, my, my feelings on War were quite well expanded in the first episode, but I'm genuinely, genuinely finding ways to enjoy his right now and I watched Moonraker a couple of days ago and I was because I had so low expectations really enjoyed it and then I watched The Spy Who Loved Me last night and didn't enjoy it as much and I'm thinking something's not right here I just enjoyed Moonraker more than The Spy Who Loved Me objectively (laughs) that's not right But when we get there and we've got a week between episodes and I delve into special features and watch it again I'm sure that will correct itself but when I watched a load in a short period of time, I, I, I was suddenly like, I, I'm going to have to withdraw from this podcast because everyone's going to want to shoot me after I rank Moonraker <laughs> ahead of the spy who loved me. But no, yeah. That's the good thing about doing this podcast as well. You have a renewed appreciation. I mean, you, you guys both love um, License to Kill. Like for we, me, I, I must admit, it's one of my least, I, I, I still enjoy it as a Bond movie. Um, I've, I'm probably with the populist camp. I've, of the two dots, I prefer The Living Daylights. Yeah, but it's, like, it's purely because License to Kill is, is my least watched one movie. Well, I don't know why or how that's when we get there, though. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss it as well. But I'm sure like, once I see it again, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I noticed this. And oh, yeah, I noticed that and have a renewed appreciation for it. You so. know, I, I'd be very stunned after all these years if I massively change my mind on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> genuinely, because I know I've got seven out of eight weeks, effectively, because it is broken up by Never Say Never Again. Out of eight weeks, I'm going to watch seven Roger Moore films. And we're expecting like people who follow us and people who've come to know this podcast through others to listen to us. Some of them will like Roger Moore. Some of them won't. But it's the worst thing in the world to listen to seven weeks of he's shit. So yeah, we're not going to do that. I not want to do that. So I've genuinely gone in. And one thing I'm... Well, the thing is, like me and Becca are here to kind of wire that up anyway. I, <laughs> wanted to, I genuinely want, and I'm very good at this, watching films with fresh eyes i'm very good at like forgetting what my previous viewings of it and i've genuinely gone in with an open mind and, and the other thing is i know the last couple of conneries in my opinion at least aren't very good and so the change to roger moore will be quite because we've delved so much into special features this time as well i've had an awful lot of connery this year and so the change to roger moore will be a nice change of pace with a nice raised eyebrow. Yeah. And that's not all that's raised. I mean, genuinely, his, his, <laughs> his bond should <laughs> definitely have a permanent erection. <laughs> On that note. I mean, basically, he should he should be camping while he's out, you know, and he doesn't need any tent pegs. Uh, you know what? I'm surprised <laughs> Barbara Windsor never made an appearance. Yeah, well, I've often think, yeah, I often think, you know, the bit where, uh, the bit where he's, in, oh, what film is it, where he's in bed and she says, I need a refill. Is that Octopussy? It's Magda, isn't it? And I'm thinking, he, he raises an eyebrow and I'm thinking, you're thinking of that bit in Carry On Camping where Barbara Windsor's bra throat flies <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, totally. You think <laughs> But genuinely, I mean, there's bits, certainly with Octopussy, that I, I think are really, really fucking stupid and not funny. 
but I've managed to enjoy them a great deal. And he's actually got okay. a surprising amount of, with that deep voice of his, he's got a surprising amount of gravitas in the role. Mm, true. Can I ask for a quick question before we finish yep. up? No. And, and 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 listeners, you can, you can email in your suggestions if you if, if you if you want to. We're a couple of weeks um, ahead of you guys, so if you email us today, by the time we like you know read it out, we'll probably be on like my Majesties or. Well, yeah, yeah. Email oh, us anyway. Well, the address I'll, is coming at the yeah. end of the show. Yeah. What was your point, Chris? Yeah. Uh, I I was going to ask you guys what. Um, if we did a commentary for any Bond film, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. So if we had to, to sit and do a commentary for a Bond like film... Like Ministry Science Theatre 3000? I mean, I mean, I mean me, me and Dave pretty much did View to a Kill on Twitter, basically. He did, pretty much. <laughs> Gross would watch. And I, I would tag you in it annoyingly. You must have been annoying in the morning going, oh, fuck, what's all this? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, well, but it's wait, you said if... that, Chris. A View to Kill was the first one that came into my head. So <laughs> yeah, why not? What, yours be That's Dave? Cool. Well, why don't we do a commentary per Bond? We could, we could do like a live tweeting. Uh, I tell you what. I tell you what. This is just an idea. If you disagree, cut it out. <laughs> Genuinely, we could do a commentary per Bond, and we will put it to the email vote. If no one votes or no one cares, we'll pick one. But we are a couple of films away from the end of the Connery era. So if you tell us before we get to Diamonds Are Forever what you would like us to commentate on. We can always go back anyway if you want. Oh, we can do them at the end of the series. But the general point is, let's do one per... I mean, obviously with uh, Lazenby, that leaves us with one option. But we've had six James Bonds. So there's possibly six uh, commentaries there. And we will do what you and the listeners... Maybe the 60s Casino Royale. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm joking. Uh, Uh, Officially on production. I tell you what, I'm quite happy for us to throw Never Say Never Again in the mix on the confident assumption that no... Can can I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been six James Bonds. One of those James Bonds only did one film. So that leaves five of them. Of those five, um, which film per Bond? That sounds like good. That's a good call. Yeah. If uh, you don't pick, we will pick. And can I throw my hat in the ring and say, uh, 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 "Die Another Day" is a good one for. Die Another Day is definitely my Brosnan choice. I mean, he's absolute. It's absolute shit, but fuck, will we have some fun? Rip- <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think. Well, let me run through what I think would be my choices. I think I would like to do. I think I'd like to do Doctor No for uh, Sean just because it's the first. Uh, when we get to Roger Moore, what do you guys think for Roger? Oh, for Roger. Our suggestion. Oh, um, for Roger, I don't know. It has to be like so, Octopussy or Spy Love Me. I, think I mean. I mean, yeah, it's like you said, View to a Kill is a good one, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a good one for a commentary. Yeah, uh, I suppose, like, do, you, do you want I, insights? Yeah, they're you, old. Look at them, they're old. Is, Chris, I'm sorry to talk over you there, but do you want insights or laughs? Yes. Yeah, because, frankly, uh, if you want us to, like, you know, dissect in, you know, an the, interesting and hopefully the, entertaining the way, is, then fine. If you want us to rip the piss out of something, for, <laughs> then pick the all is, their though, shit ones. It's, 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 it, 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 it depends on what you pick. It's like. I don't know. I, I I'm kind of if I was going to choose a Connery one, I'd probably go for uh, uh, You Only Live Twice. 
because that's quite. I would say that's quite divisive. All right, let's, all right quickly before we go then, uh, Becca, what's your feeling on Connery? Which would you choose? Oh God, um, I'd, yeah, it'd have to be something kind of late in his career. I'd say like you'd live twice. Or all right, well, that's two out of three of us. So, <laughs> so the do you expect us to talk? Uh, suggestion is you only live twice. Uh, so that's the one we will pick if you disagree. Well, obviously, we will do Majesties because basically, who what doesn't want to listen to two hours of us all masturbating? And then we will get to Roger Moore. Who is what's our choice for Roger Moore? Uh, let's pick one. Um, well, what's your choice, Becca? I'll say Octopussy. Right, you want to do Octopussy, Chris? That's a good shot. That's a good shot. I think I could easily do any Roger Moore because they're both kind of fall in a similar sort of camp. Um, pick one and I'll split the difference. Okay, I'm going to say uh, View to Kill. Right, I'm with you. So A View to a Kill is our Roger Moore pick. Yep. Basically because I loathe Octopussy, but we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dalton. Uh, last it's I agree. Oh, I'd, have to agree. I'd have to agree with you on that one. <laughs> well, it's just as well because you've been outvoted already. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we've... I mean, it's fair. There is only two. Uh, so, well, yeah, there's only two, so you, know. you only live twice. Uh, a View to a Kill and obviously Majesties and... Licence to Kill. Brosnan, we're suggesting die another day for the sheer giggles of it. The sheer hilariousness of it. And Daniel Craig. Bear in mind, only the first three are on home release at the moment. Well, obviously you can't do Spectre. Because um, that would just be... That would be incredibly rude walking to the cinema and just talk our way through it. Yeah, that would be very naughty. Can you imagine? Um, but... <laughs> Look, they're having but... it off. <laughs> 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 but it would be it would be damn annoying coming out of that film going like shit. I think shit, we that would be a perfect commentary for our insights. It would. Yeah. Well, maybe, well, maybe if we get popular enough, we <laughs> be able to hack. No, okay. Um... <laughs> Tonight at the Theatre Royal, <laughs> Drury Lane, <laughs> they, they could just have, have a screening of us three of microphones and just like talk over the film. Well, I can. You need this call. Yeah. All right. It's the more serious. I mean, we've taken the piss take one so far. I would. I would go with Casino Royale for Daniel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Casino. Uh well, I'm being outvoted, but I'd go for Skyfall. Why? I know controversial. All right. Change our mind. Why? Uh, I think it's kind of like how uh, what I said for uh, You Only Live Twice, it's more divided. Even though I have a lot more issues with Skyfall, I could probably voice those issues a bit more, maybe, on the side. But, um, you know, it, it's easy to watch Casino Royale. I love it, but it's more plot-based. It's like it's more engaging. I'd rather sit and watch Casino Royale. Uh, yeah, you think you think it's one of those commentaries where there'll be long stretches of silence because we lapse into watching the film. There'll, there'll be a lot more talk about Sky um, Skyfall. All right, uh, I'll change my vote then. But you know, oh, no, 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 I'll change my vote. I, I'm, I'm happy to go with that because I think I'll be the same casino where I'll just want to watch it. So so far, because it's, it's that so, good. Basically, listeners, if you don't tell us different, we're gonna go. We're gonna do commentaries at some point to be decided. On You Only Live Twice, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, A View to a Kill, License to Kill, Die Another Day, and Skyfall. Tell us if you feel different. Yes, and what's the email address again, Becca? Expect think... us to talk at gmail.com. <laughs> and you can now follow us on Twitter. At Expect us to talk.
Hey! Oh, and also, Chris, where... where are we on the interwebs? Uh, well, I'm Cinematronics, as everyone knows who listens, probably. I doubt there's anyone who doesn't. But well, that uh, actually does Dave. host our site, doesn't it? I mean, as well, much as yes. we're on iTunes and Stitcher now. Oh, yes. Go, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher. Please rate us. It will help us rank higher in iTunes. Give us yeah. a glaring review. E- Thank you. Even, and, and apparently, even if you think we're absolutely shit, please give us a one-star review. Cause that's still no, no, no. A five-star five review. review. <laughs> Don't ask for a one-star no, but... review. No, but I'm saying if they, if they think they're shit, it's like, well, trash is because it does help us get more... You know, it gives more attention. Also, where else can you find us? We're all on Twitter individually. Where can you find us, Dave? What's your handle? At the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six. And Chris. Uh, at Cinematronics. And I am at R underscore View Movies. I'm gonna ru- I'm gonna run. I'm gonna actually ruin the sort of uh, flow of this now because we're about to sign off. But I want to go. Yeah, to the- I've got to go home. <laughs> when are we gonna do that? Do we want to okay. do them at the end of each actor's run? Um. Yeah, well, that would be quite good, I think. Or would you do a big one at the end? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Becca, tweet it, and then we'll see and we'll see what the results, and we'll just plan as we go. Yeah. All right, my, my gut feeling is we might do... I'd See, I'd, I don't know... So we see, we, we can just plonk them in in any old way, so it doesn't really matter that We'll much. figure it out. Okay. Yeah, that's... Yeah, don't really we matter. could do like a live tweeting as well. That'd be quite good fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, okay, well that's good night from me. What about you, Chris? It's good night from him. That's good night from me. <laughs> James Bond will return, as will we, and you only live twice.